This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to Frank Talking Part 2. This is Besotis Chat with Brentford head coach Thomas Frank, which is held at the Red Lion Pub in Barnes. Part one, you can check it out on prideofwest.london. Also, good news, Besotted have been shortlisted for a Football Supporters Association Award in the fan media category. So if you go to besotted.com forward slash awards, you can vote for us. We'll really appreciate a little vote. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. This is the besotted Pride of West London podcast. And this is part two of the West London podcast coming from the Red Lion Pub in Bars, taking great, great, great care of us. It is just down the road from Hammersmith over the bridge, which is shut. So if you get a scooter, you just come over here, come down here, come to the pub. They'll take great care of you. Just say the besotted crew sent you. And they'll give you a pint and they'll say, thank you very much. <laughs> and this, I'm here. I'm, <laughs> I'm Billy Grant. And I'm sitting here with my chums. I've got Laney Lane. I've got Savvy B. I've got The Allard. And I've got Thomas Frank. And this is part two, as we say. If you want to check out part one, you know, go to prideofwest.london or go to Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn, Acast, any of the good podcast platforms, and you'll be able to find it. And like I said, you click on automatic downloads because we've got more to come as well. And also check out on YouTube because we're going to upload this one as well. But listen, that last podcast, we chatted about Huddersfield and Millwall and Swansea and winning and losing and all sorts of stuff, crying. And also the Wigan game, which has already taken place. And now we're going to be talking about other bits and pieces, just sitting out there, just shooting the breeze with Thomas in the red line and bars. Thomas, you Obviously, come over from Denmark from a place called. Is it? How's that? I thought I listened. I thought it's better, you know. It's not as good as my rem. You know what I'm saying? It's not like rem, is it? Okay, tell me how we pronounce your town. Vilor. Oh, Vilor. Okay. I'm still working on it, but yeah, this is about you know ten kilometres outside of Copenhagen. So in effect, it's kind of like you know living in sort of kind of Hemel Hempstead. Yeah, it's compared to to Brentford. So you're the Brentford of Copenhagen. Yeah, you could say that. Four legs or six? Sorry, four legs or six? Yes. On the on the bees. On the four. 
Four, four. Okay, that's not good enough. <laughs> fake, fake for all. Yeah, you know but listen. Um, so you you've come there, and like I said, you live there with your. Just tell us a bit about you, your family. Yeah, um, we lived there for twelve years um, together, um, and then you know, December sixteen, I moved over here on my own for for six months, and the rest of the family joined me in July uh, seventeen, and um, we lived here since and. My kids and my wife are enjoying it a lot here in London. So, um, and, and, what, and again, your wife. How many kids you got? I got three kids: um, um, girl, thirteen; boy, sixteen; girl, uh, seventeen; and then my lovely wife. So uh, it's quite busy sometimes. And do they like it in London? Yeah, I think we are extremely privileged to be here in London because it's a wonderful city and um, the the experience we so to be fair we we wanted to go abroad of course you know my career and all that but but you know for me at, at least 50% of it was um, as a family to get a different challenge a different experience and a different um, opportunity in life and we're very pleased that we got this one and I think my kids and my wife embraced it fantastically and hopefully they they will mature and grow from this. But again, it, it's a bit of a kind of you know. I'm not even. It wasn't. It wasn't a dead cert for you because you're there in Copenhagen. You've just been manager of Bronby, who are one of the top three sides in Copenhagen. Somebody puts a call in, going, "Excuse me, do you want to be assistant manager at Brentford?" And you're like, probably like, I've never heard of them. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and you know what I'm saying? And, and no, no, you've got to move to London with your whole family to be at Brentford, right? When you're at you know Bronby. Surely you must have been thinking, what's going on here? Mm, yeah, to be fair, I was um, after I, after I left Brumby, I, I wanted to be a head coach or manager again, um, but I also wanted to go abroad um, to yeah to get that challenge and experience we just talked about. Um, but uh, in football, you can't be too um, picky or too how can you say. Uh, can't just decide your next job it's so difficult just to get uh, those these these top jobs uh, so so the first time i heard that it should be an assistant manager i was a little bit hmm, that was not what i was thinking about but uh, then i got over here and i uh, heard a story from from rasmus uh, phil and, and matthew and and i spoke to dean and, and richard and um after three meetings um i think the, um, the idea was been growing on me uh, i could see hmm th- this could be quite interesting and uh, I love this challenge and um, you know what can happen if I do that a couple of years and then see what's happening again and Dean Smith we, we love Dean Smith because Dean Smith was a manager who came in at a time that we were in a little bit of a pickle but he he did the right things especially like I said beforehand he was a Brentford well, he was a Brentford manager and he just basically just worked with us to try and make us better and that's why we really like Dean and that's why we will never knock him for going to Aston Villa and doing what he's doing um, so he was at Brentford doing his thing um, you came in like, look, look, come on, Thomas, just tell us, mate. Surely you must have thought, hold on a second, he's probably going to leave quite soon. I'm, I'm going to get this job. <laughs> 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 nice try. <laughs> uh, now, because I think one of the um, the big things, I, I think, in, in football and life, of course, especially in football, is, you know, it's it's all about trust. Um, and if you don't trust each other, you can't, can't work together, so... I knew that uh, me coming in from 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 Denmark, another country, coming into to club as as a coach from the outside, that's been a head coach before. I knew I need to work extremely hard to to earn that trust, um, and you can only do that uh, by building good relationship. And I I, ca- I can't praise Dean and, and Richard enough for being so welcoming to me. And I lived in their house the first first week I went here, 
um, and they just did everything they could to um, to, to make me feel welcome. Um, so so no, it worked out perfectly. Um, so, so that was the question really was how how did you work it that you weren't seen as a threat to them? Because obviously you were gonna, you were being brought in with different ideas, um, and very early on you were seen on the on the touchline. You were standing up with them discussing changes mm. maybe recommending mm. substitutions mm. so how do, how do you manage that I, um, I think from the beginning I you know I started the first dinner we went out uh, I said uh, I'm very pleased that I'm here with you guys but I I, I know it's it's all about trust uh, I've been there before I've been a head coach I had other assistants and, and I know the only thing is that we, we trust each other and we, we build that relationship then we have a, a good chance and I, and I know it's, it's me that needs to earn it it's not you guys but I also think it helps the way they are as persons. They're so open uh, uh, to different ideas. Um, and then in the beginning, of course, I, I know, of course, I have I have my ideas, but uh, I knew in the beginning I need to be uh, holding back and be aware of, uh, you know, step by step, and uh, you know, th- then take it uh, take it from there. Uh, but but for me, it was important that. From from literally the first game, I think uh, Dean was listening to to some of my my advices, and not everything is perfect, but just small ideas, and I think that that just uh, helped all of us. I think not not my advice, but that, that that you know that we instantly from the first minute you know uh, clicked. And I'm going to ask you just quickly, and I'm going to come to the in a minute because. Um, when you got appointed, and like I said, you were head coach at Bronbury, and I remember we were sitting in the podcast going, oh, this guy's head coach at Bronbury, and he's assistant to us now. What's going on here? Then, then we thought, actually, no, the way that Brentford operates, because I know that you know beforehand, I, I know Matthew wanted to bring certain people in, I think, under, you know, under different you know, head coaches and managers, but it didn't quite happen for particular reasons. Um, and I think that it will only happen if the, the head coach is amenable to that. And I think Dean Smith was amenable to thinking, right, we thought at the time maybe Dean thought I'm you know I'm doing all right now I'm not I'm not 100% I'm making a few mistakes and maybe I need a little bit of help in certain areas so we were thinking that maybe that you were brought in to add something into a particular area that maybe Dean wasn't as proficient at proficient is probably not the right word but just to add to the, the team so what do you think that you were adding when you came in as a head coach or an assistant head coach sorry um I think we all have different skill set players and or, or, or coaches, uh, and hopefully we are um, slightly uh, different uh, to get the best out of um, out of each other. And I think um, the way I'm I'm thinking, maybe I was slightly more um, structured or slightly more very, you know, everything I'm thinking about when I'm trying to. Um, to make a training drill is is that it need to be linked to uh, to the style of play. Um, so those two bits was maybe the the bit where I standed um, where I was stood out or I do did things differently uh, because Dean and Richard still had top training drills and still top. But I was just so that's maybe the the way I've been brought up or my uh, way of thinking, and and they had some some of course so so and then we were talking i think because the thing i want to say is actually the way we looked at football was similar so that was, that was key if, if it was not because both or the all three of us wanted to dominate game and wanted to play football then um <laughs> uh, then uh, then it couldn't work um and i think i just brought some different ideas 
you almost sort of stole my question, to be honest, Bill. But d- directly in a game, um, what would you say you had the most influence on when you were working with them? Was there anything like was it was it systems substitutions? Was there anything because it seemed you used to sort of stand there and talk to them quite a bit, and you'd be you know making some pointers and stuff like that. Was there anything that you were particularly influential on? I can't. I can't really. I can't remember that in the game. I think that's depending on the game, and subst- yeah. that, that's just depending. I think. Uh, um, say, I think I had different ideas, uh, different ideas in terms of uh, my way of seeing football, but still in the same, how can I say, same direction. Um, maybe not. Me- I know. I know. Maybe I was slightly more details. That's not. That's not more right. But that was just maybe what fitted uh, uh, the mixed. Indeed, Smith's era. I mean, you, you said in another interview that you had a big input in signing a number of players. Um, in the, I mean, I'm just wondering, in the Dean Smith area, are there any players that you had an input in actually saying, tell you something, they'll be really good for our side in this transition phase that we're looking at? Oh, I think... Uh, <laughs> I think you should always be a little bit uh, aware of that because we all looked at the, the players and we all was a part of the decision. So the easy part was uh, for me to, to sit here and, and brag and say, oh, no, no, it was only me who found Neil Mopé. But... Unfortunately, that was not the case. Uh, I think we're all part of, uh, you know, finding the players. And uh, but what I can say is that I said yes. That I think he could be a top player. But as far as I know, Dean also said yes to that. And, and also he, because he was in the same room. So yeah. <laughs> and I've got to come Savvy B as well. But obviously, what's happened is that as a head coach now, and 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 the thing is, that, you know, we chat, you know, quite a lot, Thomas, and we chatted like I said to you, you know, back in the, in the day, like in December, just when you've been a coach for a month and a month and a bit. And the one thing I did get from you that time is that you were very focused on what you wanted from the players, what you wanted on the pitch, and the type of players that you wanted. And uh, even though you didn't say it so much because you can't say these things, but you felt that um, you needed to add to what you had to make the perfect side that you needed as well. The players that you had you thought were really great and they will develop, but you also felt that you needed some particular players in the side. So I think you were very focused. So it seems that even though everyone thinks that we just go out and plunk numbers into a computer and all of a sudden players pop out of that computer and they come onto the pitch, it seemed to me that actually you were very instrumental in bringing in a number of players into the side this summer um, from your brief. Is that correct? I think I think it's natural. Hopefully, that uh, the head coach is, uh, has a big uh, big voice in in terms of selecting the, the the new players. But but I think one of the because it's it, like it's 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 it, we do it together, and we do it in in a specific way, and we play a specific style. Uh, but you know, it's me in the end who need to pick that player. And if I don't, you know, feel for him or like him, then he can has the he can have the greatest number or six other people can think oh he's really good but I no, I really don't fancy him uh, right or wrong mm, I don't know but that's just a big part of it but the good thing is that we are um, uh, most of the time very uh, on, on, the, on the same page in terms of what direction we want to go but but yeah I have my strong opinion uh, about players I, I think we should get uh, most of the time we are we agree I mean, you, you talk about the you know the success of the players that you you found over those three years you've been here. Uh, what about the ones that didn't work out? Who who would you say was any any player that hasn't worked out? Mm. I, 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 again, it's not we do it together. So I, I would say so. I think it's just I think that's one of the the strongest 
competitive edges we have in Brentford is the players we we've found because I I also know the the past history because I know uh, Erasmus you know the going back and I know the history of of the club and all that and I listen to Phil and Matthew, but from that transfer window in January 17, I think all the play because I think there was some quite mistakes before that, mm. uh, but I think from that transfer window going forward until now. I can't really find and now maybe maybe you say, Oh, what about him? But I can't really find a player that I will say that ooh, that was a big mistake. So I no Hoffmans. That was that was before that. That's what I'm saying. No no Hoffmans, no no big Nicks, big Nick. Yeah, who was that? Uh, Nick uh Prosvich. Ah, yeah, I don't even know who's this. Who uh-huh. is? I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is, we, we were talking before you, you arrived, and we were trying to think of a player that didn't work out in the last three years, and we couldn't think of one. Um, but you've also obviously bought into the the model that um, that sort of Rasmus and Matthew and and Phil follow. Um, so, <clears throat> how were you sold on that, and what do you think frustrates you most about that model? In, uh, in terms of finding players or in terms of the stats or... What, what does it stop you doing? Uh, you have to sell a nil mopo every year. Ah, okay, that, okay, that's part of the strategy, I would say. Um, so part of the strategy, of course, you know, I, I, I can't think of any coach that, you know, don't want to keep their best players. So, uh, of course, in the moment, it's slightly frustrating in, in, the, in the particular moment. But I've bought into it, and I understand why we do it. And uh, I think it's, uh, you know, quite fascinating that I can, you know, when I look back at the January transfer window and the summer transfer window, that we have plus I don't know how many million pounds. That's amazing, and we actually think that we uh, have at least as strong a squad as last year, if not slightly stronger. Um, so I think that's very impressive. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's that that's that also what makes it interesting. So even that is frustrating sometimes to lose the best players. That okay, now we finally and could just keep them one uh, season more, six months longer than maybe something. But it's part of it, and that's that's the challenge. But again, you're interesting. You say that because you say that with a lot of confidence, maybe because of the way the clubs run. If you look at Barnsley, Daniel Stendel. Okay, the Barnsley fans love him. That he took them up last season. Um, he had half his team ripped away from him. They brought players in that either haven't gelled or aren't quite right. And uh, within weeks, he's got sacked from Barnsley because he hasn't been getting the right results. Now, I'm sure that you must be able to kind of empathise with Stendhal to a certain extent because he he's the head coach and he's going to be judged by the results. But if he hasn't got the players to give him the results, then he's going to feel the cropper. And the same thing to you to a certain extent, because, again, when the fans were singing, you're going to get sacked in the morning, but at the end of the day, you've had Neil Malpay go from you. It hasn't been replaced. Okay, Ollie Watkins scored goals, but people aren't scoring goals from other areas, and you've got 25 players gelling at the same time. You know what I'm saying? I'm being a bit facetious there, but you understand what I'm saying? So it's all going to fall on you. So you must um, you must get a bit frustrated thinking, okay, I understand, but it's really annoying because it's falling on me. Mm. Mm. <laughs> uh, I think the if you if you look at the players we we brought in this summer, I think they're also quite promising. Uh, the number of players we we bought, I think it's too many in in terms of the perfect uh, you know turnaround year to year. But we, we even a, a well well run club as us, we we still you know don't hit it bang on because there's 
things in the market we can't control and stuff like that. Uh, but but look at the the quality of players and the names and where they're coming from this year. I think that's tell everybody that we are trying trying to push to the next level. Um, what that next level is, I don't know exactly, but we are trying, or maybe we just need to do that also to keep up. So I think that's the interesting part. If we if we did like Barnsley did, I think Stendhal did a top job. I think Klopp did a top job. Then they're getting promoted. And then they're getting promoted and then they're selling their four best players. And they're selling their four best players and they're getting absolutely, sorry, bad players in. So if it was that way, then I maybe would have been, hmm, this is not fair. But this way we're doing it, I think it's completely well thought through and a tough strategy. At what age were you when you realised that you were a, um, a football um, intellectual? When you, when you, no, you understood the game better than you could play it. Um, and Six years. <laughs> no, 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 no. So, 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 so you, 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 know, you didn't play the game at the highest level. You weren't a Frank Lampard or, for an even worse comparison, John Terry. And, but, but you, you understood the game inter, integra- you know, in, intimately and you were able to kind of um, visualise mm. scenarios and be a, 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 able to um, pick formations that were winning formations. At mm. what, what age were you when you kind of decided that I've got a career in the game that is beyond my footballing, my, my actually playing days? Even though you didn't, you didn't really play that much though as well, did you? No, I think... I was, you know, unfortunately, the coaches I had, they were so bad, so they didn't see my potential. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, no, I think I loved to play football since I was a, a kid, uh, and I played grassroots level throughout my, my life. But, you know, when you when you're in, so so I never had a dream of being a footballer. I just loved the game. And then I, I, I you know... When I was 20, I started coaching, and I thought that was quite funny. And then I went to university, and you know, I was kept coaching. And um, there was ne- never like a specific, okay, now I want to be professional coaching, just living off of, of coaching football. Uh, but after five, six, seven years, then hmm, okay, maybe I have a chance. But it's not like still like a, like a, a topic. I just enjoyed it so much, so I just put hours and hours in coaching, studying, watching football. Um, and then, then when I think I was 30, I got my first professional job uh, as a um, kind of a IDP coach we have here, when, but also a slash um, academy director, because we're a little bit, uh, we haven't uh, built the academy um, strategy that well at that time. Um, so, but even that, uh, when I was 30 there, and then it took me, I think I was, thir- then I got, then I became the um, youth national head coach from the 17 on the 19 but even when I had that after three years four years I was not thinking oh I need to be coaching senior teams or professional professional football it just it just came um, and I, I don't know what my ne- next target is of course of course I'm growing in confidence and stuff and I feel okay maybe I'm okay at this but uh, I also know it's like changing so quickly are there any examples where um, and maybe it's going for a job or maybe it's on the training pitch where it's been thrown at you back at you that you haven't played at a level by by anybody I would say the only it's you know it's the media and potentially the fans again I don't read it but you know sometimes I I get (laughs) uh, told things Um, but no never 
never. Um, I know that I needed to work harder to earn the respect mm. uh, because it's just, for whatever reason, just more natural for a, a top footballer to just be, if you played 500 games in Premier League, you're suddenly a top coach and top manager. And like with everything else, all these uh, theories that you need to do things 10,000 times or 10,000 hours. That's the same if you want to be a top coach. You need to be on there on the training pitch 10,000 times. Then you can buy yourself some, some time by being a smart footballer because he's actually been training a lot of these drills, of course. He, so you, you don't have maybe don't to do 10,000, but you still need to do more than just, okay, I quit playing, bang, I'm going to be a top coach. No, you're not. In terms of working with, with players and taking decisions and... No, it's, it's not that easy. But they have something I never got, n- never, never will have. You know, they had, they've been that dressing, they felt some of these things. But for me, that's just a, a minor part of it. I'm going to ask a question as well. And again, this is not a disrespect on the players that we've got now, but um, we're, we're, we're shooting the breeze here, and we're talking the truth as well. And we're just saying that um, obviously we had a number of difficulties, in, particularly in the beginning of the season, uh, in particular in, in our midfield, in trying to make things happen. We lost Romain Sawyers at the end of the last season. Do we miss Romain Sawyers? I miss him so much. I think he's a top footballer and a top personality, and I think he was a you know a fantastic player and person for for Brentford Football Club. Uh, but I think that he uh, um, the time was come. He got an offer from his uh, boyhood club uh, West Brom, so. Sometimes things like that happened and uh, he got that opportunity and that's what we are all, all about. We give people th- those opportunities. Um, but I also was, um, you know, that moment in time I was pretty... Com- I knew that as everybody could see the first 10 games, it will not just be, okay, Matthias Jensen, Christian Ergot, or just a silly, they just take over after Romain. Uh, but I knew after hopefully 10, 12, 14 games, they will take over and hopefully be, be good players and over time. You never know if they're actually going to be even better than Romain. But I think this moment in time, there's no doubt that, that Romain is one of the best midfielders in the league. And, and again, we can't labour on this because, again, you know, it's unprofessional for you to talk about players, especially particular players who are at the club at the moment now. And I know that you're working with them to get better. From fans, you know, we're thinking that we see uh, with Norgard, we've seen improvements in him over the past few, three or four games, as it was. Initially, I think that he was a little bit rabbit in the headlights. He didn't really know what's going on. And, and also, Jensen, he can ping a good pass and he's doing particularly good things. But still, there's work in progress there do you, do you agree with our sentiments no yeah 100% agree I also think those fans who you know love Romain and thought it was a disaster who said uh, goodbye to him uh, I wasn't here in his first season but I've been told and probably the four of you also remember his first half season maybe full season there was as far as I know he was not particularly praised every single game uh, and I think he only got better and better the last two years so if you take that curve and I think the, th- the two players, I think they have the, the they are mm, Jensen is the, the the one who is the most uh, the closest to the type of of Romain. I think he, have, he has he has top potential. There is reason why Sevigo bought him and and Ajax uh, they wanted him as well. So we are watching a player that's been not playing for a year. Um, that's been you know captain his under twenty one side two years in a row uh, for European Championship. I think he'd be a brilliant player for us. And, and I've got to say as well, again, chatting to you, like I said to you, as, as I've done a lot, and one thing I've got from you is that there's about your ethos. 
for the players, the way that they were meant to play. And there was one time when I was sort of saying to you, you know, we were going about, <laughs> why don't you just throw this person for the B team and that person, you know, at the time that we weren't winning any games, we're thinking, we've got nothing to lose. Let's throw all these B team players in and they'll be brilliant and we're, they're, they're brilliant and they, we're going to win lots of games. But you were saying about you felt that players needed to have a more rounded game they needed to be great attackers but also also have their defensive side of it as well um i think one of these players maybe it might have been sort of josh de silver who you felt at the time needed to build on his game so i'm just wondering the development of this players how have you seen it come on since a year ago no i think just silver is a, is, a, is a prime example of that he was coming from with an injury, to be fair, from Arsenal, so he was not really up and going before I think November in terms of training. Um, and it's it's like with all other young players, he he didn't know how hard to work and train, uh, but he was gifted with unbelievable abilities. Uh, so it's easy to see. Whoa! Now he cut and just curled into the top corner. Wow! He should just play every single game. But there's so many other parts of the game that he need to be capable of of doing. And he, to be fair, he's been work, working really, really hard. And I'm really proud of his development and the way he's been, you know, handling it. Because there's been some up and downs. There's been some serious talk in the office or, you know, serious talk with the other coaches. And, you know, and also a, a pat on the back and, you know, an arm around the shoulder and sometimes a little go. So it's just absolutely natural working with a young player uh, with a huge potential. And I think he'll be absolutely brilliant for us in the future. I'm going to ask because we've got defensive issues, or we had defensive issues, so we've changed it, we've brought players in, right? Uh, We had. However, we sold one of our defenders to another team, and this defender now is, uh, for clearances, fourth best in the Premier League uh, for clearances, fourth best for interceptions, seventh for aerial wins, fourth for blocks, that's John Egan, and also Jack O'Connell, another one we left, is fifth best in the Premier League for clearances, second for aerial wins, and eighth for passes blocked. Do you think we made a bit of a mistake letting these two go? I can't talk about um, uh, O'Connell uh, because it was before my time. Uh, John Egan, uh, I know very well and I think he's another player we should be very proud of. Uh, We definitely were part of his development and there's a reason why he went to to another club. Um, And I think also in... In that stage, um, I think it was the right thing for e- uh, for John Egan to, to move to Sheffield United um, that moment in time. And the way they play, I think it suits him absolutely perfect to play in the middle of a back three. And do, that does that superb in terms of how they play. But to be fair, we, we flipped to that after a while, though, didn't we? No, yeah, we yeah, yeah no, we yeah, we, we we flipped to that in December, but it's also in the summer. So because that moment in time, we wanted to play with a back four, um, and yeah, for whatever reason, it was just the way it went. It's one of those things yeah. where you're okay. Just, just just quickly as well, I know we're going to come to Laney Ellery Balkum as well, yeah, goalkeeper. Yeah. Um, I was down at uh, St George's Park a few weeks ago, and I was talking to Chris Powell and a lot of the England um, coaches and the players and everything like that. And they say, "No, Rebulkin, you know, thumbs up." In fact, that day actually he did a training session with the England first team as well, and uh, he's highly right. And, and he was, you know, he was asking me, you know, how's he doing, you know, at Brentford. And I said, "Well, first, second, maybe third in I'm not quite sure. But how exactly does this work? Because he's highly rated. He's an England under twenty one goalkeeper, but he's kind of sort of." third in line I mean you know surely he needs to kind of go up the pecking order if we're going to keep him yeah of course but I think we are very privileged because I think we talked about David Raya before 
for me, top three keeper this moment in time in championship. I think Luke Daniels is a top, top second goalkeeper experienced lad who is bringing so much to the to the pitch and the dressing room. And then we have two very, very skillful young goalkeepers in Pratik Gunnarsson and Hilary Belkham. And um, you can't have four in the first team squad, and uh, especially the two young ones, they need to play. So we decided this year it was Patrick that we kept and Hilary we sent on loan. And they are very, very pleased with him in the second best best here uh, in Denmark where he is playing currently for the for the best team in the division just I'm going to go on and just around the, another corner is at the Justice League this is all the XG the Justice League is all as we call it and just just explain to us exactly what the Justice League is because we understand it but a lot of the people think it's a load of gobbledygook but how is it useful to Brentford honestly I think it, it depends because now there's a lot of these so-called expected goals out there uh, against and for and there's a lot of websites and now apps and and so we don't know exactly how all those uh, providers they actually calculate those expected goals but um, the, um, the so, st- in, so Brentford basically they've got their own one yeah, which they, they own the thing. Uh, yeah exactly the, the big difference is that um, the reason why Matthew Benham earned all his money was because of the clear model and a clear you know way of seeing things in terms of stats and all the all the the money is earned through betting on different you know games is through this model, so it's a well-run model and well, um, um, how can you say, developed model, and it, it's 100% different. It's not like uh, we see a game and expected XT was 1.5 t- towards uh, 0.8 uh, from one of the other providers, and then uh, uh, Matthews will say 0. 0.0 against. it's not like that massive difference but there is a difference it is much more reliable the one we are using but that's only one side uh, of of the way we we, um, adjust our performances because for me performances is we can use the stats to what we want but it's quite nice to see if you have 25 shots and the opponent have 2 shots if you just play that game uh, again, there's a much bigger chance that we win. And now they go more in depth to see, did they take all the shots outside the 18-yard box or did they take all of them inside the box? Okay, then again, you have a bigger chance to win. So I think for me, we use it as performance indicators to actually see and look at our performance calm because also we also like the, the fans. We also get emotions. Mm-hmm. We also get frustrated. We also want to win. So it's nice actually to, to use a tool to perform every game but also on the longer run because I think that's important when you try and impart some of this information on the players do you talk about it in those terms XG or whatever or do you talk do you sort of translate it into more sort of football terms I mean because uh, I suppose one of the things I wonder about is can this overcomplicate things for players can it mean that they don't do things so naturally as they might um, how do you compensate with that um, we, we I think we mainly we mainly use it to boost the players because uh, maybe there were some fans who said uh, Frank sacked in the morning but they, if they actually looked at the performances we had just literally every game by game I think even with the eyes and you look back on that calm you could see that we played better created more chances and if you do that uh, game by game or, then you will get more points uh, because that's just how it works because it's such a random game uh, but we used it to boost the team to see, okay, we're actually doing quite well in a lot of these areas that we want to want to do well in. And then if we can't score goals, of course, then we're working on that with more finishing, more patterns, more relations uh, in terms of that. But then some people say, but great, 
th- those figures are great, but at the end of the day, the other team scored one goal more than us. So that's all nonsense. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And 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 I understand what you're saying, but the, the the and 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 it is true. They said, but the only thing that really counts is scoring a goal. So how can you combat that? Because in a way, they are right, even though. Okay, there's an argument to say that if you're creating loads and loads of chances, eventually you will probably score some of them, or, or you've got just a terrible striker and you need to buy another striker. Of course, there's something with quality. If you put a striker in a one-on-one situation with the keeper, you'll never score 10 out of 10. We all expect that, but it'll always be one out of three or something like that. Uh, and then, of course, there's a difference between getting Neil Mopé in that situation or Oli Watkins in that situation, and then, you know... Uh, a League Two striker. Uh, there will just be bigger chance for Neil Mopé and Oli Watkins to score uh, because it's also slightly about quality. But everybody, the, the best example I can give in that is the Birmingham game. That is the most, excuse me, f freaking <laughs> result in the world of history. Football is the only sport in uh, of all the sports in the world. Well, if you dominate that much that we did that game, you'll win the game. Basket, volleyball, handball, cricket, rugby, uh, 100 meters, everything is not as random as football. That's why it's good for, for fans, fans, they can have all, or everybody else, the media, but for us that need to be calm and, and need to, you know, to affect what we can affect, actually our performances, it's a really good tool. I think I su- suspected the Justice League has actually kept Dean Smith and yourself in a job um, over sort of various different periods over the past three years. Um, but I just wonder, th- does it work the other way around? I mean, um, could you sort of go on a run of four one-nil wins, but you were absolutely awful and just did a, did a Birmingham four times? Would, yeah, would yeah, and hold on, sorry, Thomas. And let me just explain to people: the Justice League is basically a league which is based on XG, which is the the, the quality of chances that you created. So you might be in a league position uh, of second. But if you look at the XG, the chance that you created, actually the chances that you should have been in 14th or 16th. So at the moment now, I think Brentford, who are in, uh, what, we 11th place, are we? 13th, 13th place, but the, the the Justice League say we should be in 7th. You know, and there's certain teams, I think it is, uh, um, I think it's... Uh, um, Sheffield Wednesday, who, who who are in sixth place, who the Justice League says should be in second place. So this basically reflects, according to the stats people, where you should be. I can say in the Smartos model, we're using we should be in third. Oh, that's very interesting. Okay. But so, uh, so and you're and we use the InfoGoal model, which you can get on an app on your phone. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I'm nothing against InfoGoal. Uh, I think they do a lot of things right. I don't know exactly what they're doing. I just know the other model. Uh, but again. We don't take it, okay, we lean ourselves back and then we relax, no, everything's fine. No, no, no. We are so irritated uh, when we lose a game like we do Saturday and we do everything, we're thinking so much, well, how can we improve it, what can we, how can we train it, what kind of message do we deliver and, and so on and so on um, um, all the time. So, so, so I mean, uh, we want to be Sheffield United this season. How can we be Sheffield United, Thomas? We should never be Sheffield United. We should just be Brentford. No, but you know what I mean. They, they, Sheffield United came out of the blue last season. They were a completely unfancied team, and they just absolutely tore up, tore up the, 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 the whatever anyone else says they're going to do. And they said, "We're doing what we're doing," and bang, see you later. Mm-hmm. So th- we want to be Sheffield United, who are playing some of decent football, but we're also quite tough. Hmm. But if we actually tough in, ter- in terms of what, not conceding goals or 
tough and to run into. I just, I, just, I, just, I think they were just um, when you played against them at times, especially when you played against them, that they were they were difficult to break down. Yeah, I agree. Uh, agree. But I also think we are quite difficult to break down, aren't we, this season? Uh, I think it probably at times, yes. Yeah. So yeah, I think again, I think we should be um, we should be Brentford. We should do it in the way we believe in. Uh, and if we do that well enough and, and develop as I think the defensive is a fantastic example to take forward because we've been conceding so many goals for the last five years in championship we don't do this year so we are clearly doing something right in terms of training the organization getting the right players in and training the mindset so that's a clear area that we're working on and now we just need to get the um, the, um, the offensive part of it up to, to speed as well which actually we did the last three games before Huddersfield so I think we're in a, in a, in a quite good place um, And, and a big thing, we need to dream big, but we need to have an unbelievable focus on the next training, the next game. If we do too much thinking, oh, it could be so nice and we want to, no, no, forget it. So we need to have an unbelievable focus every single day. And then maybe someday some magical will happen. I'm thinking about the future. We've already talked about Ellery Balkum, B-team players coming through. Joe Hardy, he seems to score a lot of goals, but he doesn't seem to kind of get near to the first team. Again, we we all know, you know and I know, that he's obviously got some sort of skill. Does this something that he needs to still be working on to try and get a little bit closer? I think that he's one of those players that uh, need to find another club and maybe hopefully get a breakthrough there. Okay. All right. Um, B-team players, you talk about, um, was it Akenson and uh, Zambrick, who you, uh, again, six or seven months ago, you you must be pleased with their development through um, to, well, in effect, becoming first-team players. Who was, was the first player, sorry? Uh, is it Akenson? Oksanen. Oksanen. Oksanen, yeah. Yeah, both of them very pleased. And, in, uh, and you know, just to go back to Joe Joseph, he's a really interesting player, but for whatever reason, sometimes it doesn't fall out uh, in the way all of us uh, turned up and now is the situation where I need to to try something else uh, but uh, Jensen Borg is a fantastic player which I have a, I have a big belief in and will hopefully get a, b- a big future here at Brentford and uh, Jakob Oksanen he, he did done really well uh, he's just steadied a little bit but with young players we know it's not like it's just not like that uh, just going up it's like you know a little bit forward Uh, then a little bit down, then a little bit up, and then hopefully over time and go more and more. And is there anybody else from the B team? Because this was your prediction from beforehand, mm. and they've obviously come through. Anyone else? And again, you're not putting anyone on the spot and saying these other players mm. aren't going to make it. But are they sort of, you know, players must know there's a little nuggets <laughs> where you're sort of thinking this is quite interesting. Maybe mm. I might try that person out. Uh, this morning time, I say this. There's a young fullback, Mas Roslow. Um I think he, he will get a chance. Yeah. Okay, it's quite interesting. Yeah, uh, with with the B team, um, we noticed that some of the players, because I went to the Hanwell Town game, and some of the players you'd expect to be in the B team aren't in the B team. We were just having a chat to people, and they said, oh no, they're, they're on the loan list. Mm. So could you explain what the loan list Ooh, is? Oh. I think it's people like um, uh, De Silva, ah. who they're hoping to put out on loan. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, No, but I think there's some some players that you know a little bit little bit like Joe Hardy. There's a certain time where you can play in the B team. I think for me, around two years the is the perfect. Of course, can we do it shorter? Like Jensen Borek, one year, then bang up in the first team squad. 
But I think two years' time is, is the, the maximum for a young player. Then I think you need to see, can I step up? Because I've been here in this youth development uh, environment and now I need to see that, that, that I got a chance. If not, then I maybe need to move on to go on loan and to play grown-up football, then hopefully come back uh, or, or take another step. There's so many uh, ways to the top. Uh, so so that's, that's the way we do it. So I'm just going to ask you one final question on this one. Brentford now, and I know you said it a bit before, but I'm going to ask you straight up. This Brentford team now, do you think it's better than the Brentford team of last season? <laughs> they are definitely better, better at defending. Uh, that, that, that's a fact. Um, I think, and that's totally natural, because a lot of the players last season played together for at least two years. And I, I think you see this current team will have will grow and, and, and be extremely good. I, I have big expectation to them. But I would say last year, at the, at the peak moments, there was some unbelievable, beautiful football, which I haven't seen uh, consistently or at as high yet. But I know it will come. Thomas Frank, thank you very much. This is the Besotted Pride of West London podcast. You can catch part one of this podcast on prideofwest.london. Also Spotify, TuneIn, iTunes, Acast, all good podcast platforms. Check automatic downloads and you can get the podcast downloaded to your device. And also check out uh, YouTube. Um, it's been great chatting to you for this one, Thomas. Listen, oh, we're in the pub here, the Red Line and Barnes. They've been taking great care of us and uh, as good Brentford fans as we say, uh, come on, Peace. Peace. <laughs> and don't forget to vote for Besotted in the Football Supporters Association Awards in the best fan media category. Just go to besotted.com forward slash awards. You can vote right there. Thanks again for listening. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.